If you listen to this podcast, you know that this is run by the only 24-year-old black magician in Wisconsin. What a combination. From Wisconsin, currently living in New York, seeing all the crazy shit. I usually have an intro, I usually have a joke, usually have a tagline at the beginning that makes you maybe want to listen a little bit to the podcast, but all I can tell you is that I'm just a black man in America, woken up at 5.51am for probably the last week, and I don't have an interest in doing any of the shit that I've done for any of the podcast before, I just want to talk. And I didn't, I don't have anything planned This is going to have no edits. I'm just going to talk. I don't know what to do. And I probably have cried more than I've ever cried in a week. (laughs) I, I I don't know what to do. We're in a weird situation where... You don't have to find things anymore. They're just there, you know? Everywhere I look, on Instagram, on Facebook, outside my friends' Instagrams, through texts, everywhere you look, you're seeing this violence. People keep sending me things. I keep sending people things. But it doesn't matter because you don't have to send people things. If you just look online, things are there. Police tear gassing people, people rioting in the streets. I saw a video of people trying to break into another Target. I don't know what the fuck it is about Target, <laughs> but but people want to break into the Targets. Maybe it's the irony of the name. Maybe Target's a Target. I don't know. But this is something that we thought it was better, right? <laughs> we thought that we were living in better times. And I think this is showing us that we're not. And it's, it's it's interesting. I was angry. I am angry, obviously. George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, everybody. Everybody that has died. You know, if you, especially if you follow me on Instagram, I have been very vocal because I never want anyone to have to guess how I feel. I never want anyone to have to ask for my opinion. I want it to be out there. And it's interesting because I have a friend named Brian Carter. Shout out, Brian, if you're listening. You just started listening to the podcast. We went to school together. Probably hates that I shot him out, but fuck it. And Brian texted me or messaged me. And we were talking about this. And we're we're talking about, he, he mentioned a good point, that he never wants his opinions to be his opinions of when he was young and stupid. Because opinions change. And in 40 years from now, we could look back. I could look back very, very much so. I could look back on one of these podcasts or on my opinion on Instagram or my opinion on Facebook or my opinion through a text I sent someone. I think I'm totally wrong. You know, I have opinions from when I thought I was woke as fuck from when I was 17, 18, 19 that are wrong. I have opinions that things that I thought about women, things I thought about other minorities, things that I thought about gay people that are wrong, that were wrong, that are wrong, that I've said, thinking that I knew what I was talking about. And that's something that I think we have to keep in mind. We all think we know what we're talking about right now, even though most of us in these protests, most of us talking, 
don't really know the scope of the history that we're in. So this is what I also told Brian in this in this conversation. And again, shout, just shout out to him because he made me. Brian is somebody that. Sorry for shouting you out, Brian. <laughs> sorry, <laughs> sorry, but Brian is somebody that has had a lot like Devin. He's a black person that is not a monolith. He's a black person with different opinions and never been scared to say what his opinions are. He doesn't just follow the curve. And I always admired that about him, you know. And I've had more conversations with him. Not necessarily like changing the way I feel, not necessarily anything like that, but more open dialogues with him. And these things that are happening are creating open dialogues between black people with different beliefs. You know, we're having black people that are saying stay inside. We have black people that are saying go out. We have black people that are burning down shit. We have white people that are burning down shit. We have all kinds of people. By the way, the shit at Target, the first shit, not Target, sorry, the shit at AutoZone apparently was started by a white cop. That was one of the first things you saw. It was some weird undercover white cop with a gas mask. That was easily identifiable that his wife apparently identified through a text message. Apparently, this is apparently what happened. I can't tell you if it's 100 percent true, but I believe it. And apparently they have they have pictures of his face, you know. So we're having discussions and we're seeing a rift. We're seeing a divide. I've had my grandma call me. I haven't answered my grandma's texts. I should or calls. I should. But this isn't the time I feel I don't because I don't know how I'm going to, you know, they just want to know you're OK, but I don't know what to say. And she said, don't stay out past curfew. You know, my family is not a racial family. I am very much a racial person. I care deeply about racial issues and I always try my best. I, I always love news. I actually started this podcast because I. I got a job at a radio station, which is a dream job. I did not study radio in school. And I've always thought, you know, people sometimes told me, you know, you have a voice for radio. You know, you you're always entertaining. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to apply for some radio shit in college. I applied for a job at a radio station and I got it. And afterward, they did a background check and they saw that my driving record was too bad for the radio station. And my driving record is only bad because of the amount of times I got pulled over in college for just driving while black. You know, your license plate's in the wrong spot. Here's a ticket. You're you're driving in this. Why are you driving in this neighborhood in northern Wisconsin at the in the middle of the night? Oh, you're going to a fundraiser for children with autism and you're performing there. Sorry, not today. <laughs> you get a fucking flat tire in the middle of Wisconsin after the cop pulls you over. You know where are the cops now? Nowhere. Hours go by. <laughs> it's. You know, and so I made this podcast because I realized that I needed a way to be able to not report, but maybe tell about some issues that are underlying. And I, I've been saying this a lot because I've been getting more listeners than ever for this podcast this past week because I've really been trying to really been trying to try harder with the podcast, you know, and. My thing with this podcast, my thing with my life right now is I always try to put out content. If I put out things on Instagram or on this podcast, I try to put out things that when you watch it, you don't think this is a point he's trying to make. You know, I I try to make a point. I think that's obvious. Let me rephrase that. I try to make a point, but I try to layer it in a little bit of comedy. I try to layer it 
and a little bit of satire. So by the time you end up watching it, you're like, shit, this was about feminism the whole time. Shit, this was about black people the whole time. You know, that's the goal of what I try to do. Because sadly, if I made a podcast just about the things I care about, you know, if I just made a podcast talking about killing black people, which is the most important thing to me, obviously, as a black man from a conservative state that has had job opportunities ruined from being black, that is that have that has had all kinds of opportunities ruined from being black. I'll tell you a story I told someone the other day, a quick story about how I was how I met this really cute girl. This is one of the first times this happened. Well, this is not the first time this happened. I met this really cute girl. She's like, come to this party in college. Went to this party. I sat down next to her. She didn't know I was there yet, you know, with my friend. And I was about to be, you know, the smooth thing where you turn around and you're like, hey, hey, what's up? I didn't see you there, you know, that type of shit. And she told her friend, yeah, he's really cute. And then her friend goes, yeah, but he's black. And they laugh together and the girl never talks to me again. Never. And she's somebody that would post the shit, you know, like I don't follow her obviously anymore. <laughs> this was like four, three, four years ago, but she's somebody that would post this shit. And she's somebody that doesn't know I was there. She's, she'll never know that I know this, but these it's people. Again, I don't have a plan for this. I don't know what, exactly what point I'm making, but it's people with these underlying biases that don't even realize that they have them or that people are listening or watching that we're tired of, you know? We're tired of of things. I'm tired of my first girlfriend when I was 16, quote unquote. I'll say girlfriend. I don't, I don't really count it anymore. <laughs> the one who's who had to break up with me because her neighbors saw me coming over and they told her dad and her grandma that she was with the black man and she started bawling. It's like, what does America think of black people? You know, and that's something that really stunted me for a long time. You know, that stunted me in my opinion of people, in my opinion of women. My opinion of old people, my opinion of fathers, all of these opinions of people like that changed me a lot. My my encounter with not being able to drive made me move to New York to seek a, a better place where I could not have to drive and I could take the subway and I could be a, I could be free. You know, I went to a bar called Harlem Hookah maybe six months ago and. It was all black people. It was all black people. And I was like, shit, this is incredible. You know, because when you're in a crowd of black people and you're also black, it feels incredible. Especially when they're black people with money. Black people that have money, that are having a good time. Black people that are living their life, just living their life, not in a quote unquote black situation. Just black people chilling out. Black people sit, like, sipping some drinks and, and smoking some hookah and having a good time and talking and watching a game. And then one of them turns to me and introduces himself. He sees me drinking alone because I just got here, you know, I'm drinking alone. He, he turns to me and he goes, can I buy you a drink? And he buys me a fucking drink. And he he says, what do you like about Harlem? I love Harlem. What do you like about Harlem? And I said, when I'm in Harlem, I don't feel like a black guy. I just feel like a guy. And it's true because it's it's a black a place, it's a black place. And it feels amazing. It feels amazing to be here. And I see this being ruined a lot by 
by these. I've never been encountered by a cop in New York. I've never been approached by a cop in New York, but I see it. You know, I see people jumping the turnstiles in the subway and then getting fucking jumped and shit and police brutality. We all know about the fucking podcast that I did about the quote unquote Central Park Five. We don't call them that, but just for reference, that's what the podcast was about. And Linda finds Fairstein, find whatever the fuck her name is, that prosecutor that maliciously prosecuted them. Harlem is a, a black place, but so is even more so Atlanta. And let me tell you about Atlanta if you don't know, right? They call Atlanta Wakanda, if you haven't heard. And they call it that because it's a mecca for black people to go. Every black person that I've ever known that has gone to Atlanta, I have not gone yet. But every black person that I know that has gone has moved there. My mom, I have to cough. Oh my gosh. <coughs> I swear I don't have Corona. I swear, but I had to leave that in there because I told you guys I was kind of keep this unedited. Sorry. But my mom went to Atlanta and she fucking loved it. She wanted to move, but she can't move because my stepdad's um, mother lives in Wisconsin and she's very old, so I can't move. But I remember the first time she went and she she thought it was incredible. She's like, the houses are so affordable. Black people everywhere. They're beautiful. Everyone's beautiful. You know, my friend Cameron, who I met in Wisconsin, had an, uh, she goes to school in Atlanta and has an internship in Atlanta. And she, she's just surrounded by beautiful black people all the time. You know, I always see her pictures and she's thriving. You know, she's thriving. And Atlanta is a place where you can go to get affordable housing. Atlanta is a place you can go where there's black people around, black excellence all around. If you don't know what black excellence is, it sounds self-explanatory, but black excellence is the concept that black people to get anything that white people have, have to work so much harder that we have to be better. So you might be like, well, are black people better? No, that's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is that black people have to work so much harder for a black artist, any kind of artist to get the recognition of a white artist Typically, unless you I know what you're thinking, you're thinking, well, black people can just make stuff about black people and then get in the news because that's trending right now. Arguably. OK, sure. Maybe. Probably not. That's not what I'm that's not it's not it's not that easy. It sounds easy, but it's not that fucking easy. But. Black people have to work so much harder for the same shit. That we have it creates a standard of excellence. It creates a standard. For instance, all my white friends that I know started off doing magic because they met some guy or they had a grandpa that did magic tricks. And that comes from a position of privilege. Like you might not think so, but if, if you go back, like my whole research that I've been doing, my TV show that I'm working on, all the op-eds that I've written, almost all of them are about the history of black magicians and how black magicians were incredible people incredible people that did amazing tricks in the past people like black herman people like henry box brown people like richard potter i think i talked about henry box brown in another podcast but if you don't know just quickly he was a slave that to become a magician at a time where anyone could just fucking be a magician he had to first free himself from slavery by shipping himself in a box to freedom from uh virginia to philadelphia and then he had to move to england where he could then perform and then he became a famous magician and a, uh, like an anti-slavery speaker, at like abolitionist supporter. Then that's what that's what it took. He had to do all that just to do what fucking Houdini did. 
who was Jewish. So I mean, it's a little bit different. But Houdini just started doing shit and then and then started performing. If you've heard about Houdini, obviously, you know, Henry Box Brown had to free himself first. The, the the level of determination above what any performer at that time had to do was incredible, and that created a standard of excellence. To get into a college when you're black, oh, you just get in because you're black. You just get your fucking scholarship because you're black. To get into college, you have to ignore all the shit that comes from your surroundings. You know, for me to get into college, I had to fucking, in the episode about the anime gang that I did, it sounds funny, but it's an episode about how literally my middle school was just run by gangs. Like it was run by gangs when I was like 12. To get into college, I had to not join a gang which is a lot harder than it sounds when everyone's in a gang in your neighborhood. And you might be like, well, gangs were gangs were created to protect black people because of all this fucking police brutality and shit. A lot of these gangs, the Bloods and the Crips and the history with fucking Rodney King and shit in L.A. and all this shit. A lot of gangs were created as ways for black people to come together. And for 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 me to get to college, I had to not join a gang. Right. I had to get to high school, even though my high school was the worst thing ever, according to my cousin Ashley, who went there. Ashley's a boy. My cousin Ashley told me my high school was the worst thing ever. So many gangs that he didn't even go to school anymore. You know, I had to go to high school and I had to ignore all that shit. I had to take my fucking advanced placement classes and get called the fucking Oreo by everybody in my class. And I had to get made fun of by everyone in my class for being black. A lot. A lot. A lot. From my from people that I would consider sadly friends because I had to assimilate. And I didn't find my real blackness until I left and went to school. Where again, during high school, like I said, fucking being turned down by girls because I was black. My friends making fun of me because I was black. Teachers not letting me go on to classes that I wanted to because I was black. We don't think you're ready for this class. Okay. Because I'm black get to college same shit with girls because i'm black same shit with people and friends because i'm black people coming up to me at parties asking me if i have drugs because i'm black i did have drugs towards the end but that's besides the point i didn't sell the drugs i just did them sometimes but but when i got to school i was fucking i didn't smoke my first joint until i was 20 years old you know i didn't drink my first drink of alcohol my first sip until i was 19 my first sip Swear to God, 19. So I had to do that. I had to be, I had to do that. I had to, when I became a magician, it was hard. You know, it was hard being a black magician because there is none. There is none. There's a few, very few. There's so few. We have a Facebook group. I know all of them. I know all of them. You know, you get to China and and you, you have people looking at you and pointing and calling you Hagaran, you know, a, a bad black man. Or is it Weigaran? One of the two. I can't remember. Bad black man yelling from the, from the ground when I'm on a balcony. Hey, look, mom, there's a bad black man. To be in the position that I'm at, I had to ignore all that. And if you're white, if you're black, whatever you are, think, could you have done that? Probably not, but that's why you're not me. Also, I am me, so it's 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 different. I understand, but to that's what black excellence is. 
that's just black excellence in my life. You know, all my friends had had to go through the same thing. To be excellent, you have to go through the whole process of being called an Oreo, being called all this shit, especially before 2018, before you could get people fired for this shit, which we talked about in the last podcast with Devin Anderson, the political activist, my best friend. It's it's really it's it's so Atlanta is a place where the best black people go. Not that you're a bad black person if you don't, again, but it's the place where the best black people go because Atlanta is a place where we can thrive, you know, where, again, it's affordable. Where you're surrounded by people like you, and that makes it a mecca for black people. So what we are seeing now is the mayor of Atlanta, Killer Mike, T.I., the chief of police, who's a white woman, who's low-key giving like weird side-eyedy looks to people while they give speeches but whatever I'm assuming she's a good person because that's all I can do but they gave these incredible speeches that has changed my viewpoint on what I'm going to do because I wanted to go out I wanted to go out because I wanted to be able to tell my children in 15-20 years when they're reading the history books and there's a picture of this that I was there because my mom wasn't there my grandma wasn't there and they don't fucking talk about that because they're traumatized by it they won't admit it they won't tell you this but I believe that they're traumatized by it because they had a family of 10 in the middle of Wisconsin which was not a free northern state if you listen to any of my things about Black Thursday in Wisconsin and how they called for death of Martin Luther King in Appleton, Wisconsin where I went to school that was in the papers they had the Ku Klux Klan in Racine, Wisconsin It was not, but I believe, I believe that they were traumatized because they refused to tell me anything bad about the time. They don't remember anything bad from the time. I'm like, no bitches, you were there. You were there. You were born in the 60s. You were there. You were in elementary school when Martin Luther King died for you, but you refused to talk about it. And that's something that makes me upset. It's something that I'll never come to terms with. It's something I can never... I can't force her to talk about it, but it's the thing. My grandma is from Louisiana. She's 85 years old, and she won't tell me shit. My other grandma won't tell me shit about racism because they're traumatized. And I said, I'm not going to raise my kids to think I wasn't there and I did nothing to contribute to the culture. So I'm like, I have to go out. I have to go out, and I I have to be a part of this. And selfishly, part of it was for the picture. Part of it was because I wanted to prove to people that I was there. But it's not about that. It's bigger than that. You know, it's so much bigger than that. Because if I die, that's one more talented black man that will never see a future. And there's so many more like me, so many people more talented than me that are risking their lives for this you know we talk about this a lot rhetoric right and you might be like well how is this rhetoric rhetoric is what trump says you know rhetoric is words no rhetoric is pictures rhetoric is pictures and a lot of people don't realize that the civil rights movement a lot of the big contributing factors to it was the rhetoric at the time the pictures the images the iconic images is what we call them the images of the time that we see today are iconic images images that made people go shit this is bad just like today. So images of people getting arrested for sit-ins, images of people getting 
beat up by cops, images of fire hydrants, like fucking pushing black people into the street. Those images are iconic images. And those things are what made white people cry and say we're treating them like animals because until you see it, you don't believe it, which is what we're seeing now. We're seeing a renaissance of these iconic images. I'll give you an example. My friend Hannah sent me this text and it's incredible because I don't think she knows what she did, but she sent me this text and asked me, do you know this guy? And I was like, no. And Hannah, like, I'm sorry for calling you out. Like, this is, I think the story is amazing. Like, I hope you don't, I hope you don't think I'm like throwing shade. She asked me if I know this guy. And I said, no, it was a dude with a face mask, a helmet and sunglasses on. <laughs> and I said, no, I don't know this guy. And then she goes, oh, cause he says he's some kind of producer and people were asking to take pictures of him. And I really looked, I really looked because the picture was very light. So I thought it was a white guy and I looked and I realized he was a black guy. And you might be like, well, Hannah's just asking if you know who this black guy is because you're black. Yes. And I'm also very informed and I also know a lot of people. So I wasn't offended, obviously. I thought it was I thought it was actually really like nice that she thought that I would know like who this was, you know, and I did. I looked at the photo and I saw a fucking jersey and I saw a little man with a short body and a long necklace. Guess who it was? If you can't guess, it might be because you don't know. And I didn't I wouldn't have known if my fucking woke ass film teacher didn't make me watch his movie. Spike Lee do the right thing in class. And I'm so grateful for watching the movie, because if you haven't watched do the right thing, it is exactly what's happening now. But that's besides the point. Spike Lee is a director, an actor and a producer who's produced countless movies including black Klansmen. he's produced movies like do the right thing she gotta have it which is arguably a feminist anthem a black feminist anthem on netflix the new one and there's an old one he's worked with the biggest people like lin-manuel miranda he's worked with the biggest people in the industry like will smith he's worked with with everyone you can think of he in the 90s he's like i don't know in his 50s maybe 60s in the 90s he was an iconic figure because he was like the only one creating black movies, telling black stories that were unique, which is something that I appreciate as opposed to someone like Kenya, Kenya Barris, who's not someone I dislike, but all the shows are very transparent. You know what I mean? They're all black as fuck, blackish, like grownish, mixedish. They're all like kind of the same show. <laughs> and Spike Lee put out different things, different story. He put out stories of his neighborhood. Spike Lee is was way bigger than than she knew. And I'm glad that I was able to to say, yo, is that Spike Lee? And she went, yes, that's his name. He told me to take the. He saw a bunch of young black men. They asked for a photo and he goes, hey, girl, can you come over here? Can you can you uh, take this photo for us? And then he he says, no, no, no. Take it on. Take it on your camera. And she again, I wouldn't have known that it was Spike Lee if I didn't take this film class a year and a half ago. Because I knew Spike Lee, but I didn't know how much shit he did and I didn't know how impactful his movies were. But he said, take it on your camera. And he said this because he, what he was saying was, you're gonna want this photo. She didn't know it at the time, but he was saying, you're going to want this photo. So take this picture. And now she has an image that I believe belongs in the history books an image of spike lee on his bike in brooklyn 
with a group of young black men with face masks on, with their fists raised. Is it the best picture in the world? No, because it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a picture of a moment, of the moment that we're in. So when she told me this, I was like, that's a fucking iconic photo. Young black man with their fist raised with Spike Lee equals millions of dollars, hundreds of projects Spike Lee has. But he stopped for these like young men to show support as a real person during a time where contact isn't the best idea. He stopped to raise a fist with them. And she has a picture of that. And we're in this time where I was like, you know, I need this. I, I need this too selfishly. And it's not worth it. It's not worth it. Because in this speech, in this speech, the mayor of Atlanta, who's a woman, a black woman, says that Killer Mike and T.I. own half of Atlanta. You know, Killer Mike and T.I. own half of Atlanta. They're, they're supporters of the black community. And we're burning down our own shit. And maybe not yet, but it's going to come to that if we don't quit. And I'm not saying you should quit. What I'm saying is this is what she said. And I forget the guy's name. I think it's the reporter for CNN, the black guy with the glasses. I forget his name. But he made an incredible point that instead of calling people out, he's calling, or excuse me, she, the mayor of Atlanta, is calling people up. Instead of calling people out for being shitty people and burning shit down and acting like thugs and looting, which is what she could have said, framing of the rhetoric, framing. We use the term framing for the words that you use that help to build and construct your social reality. That's called framing. Instead of calling them that, he or she, excuse me, she, she called them up which i thought was incredible she said you can do better she said go home and think about it she said vote in the election she said use your power that way she said find a better way to protest she said we need some time we need some space and she she didn't degrade people but she sounded like my mom maybe not my mom because i told you about my mom but she sounded like a mom she sounded like she sounded like somebody that was genuinely like scared for me in New York. She sounded like somebody said, go home. I don't want you to fucking die because there's cops just out here killing, fucking hurting, arresting, shoving on buses, hitting with rubber bullets, fucking tear gassing as they walk by everybody that they see. There's people I've seen videos of people with with crossbows in the middle of the street aiming at people protesting and the people jump on him like a fucking herd of ants or whatever group an army of i don't know a bunch of ants they jump on him to save each other something i've never seen before in movies that doesn't even fucking happen in movies they go oh let's fucking get them and they get up and they try to get the guy that's robbing the bank and he shoots them they all risk their lives to protect each other to protect each other And she sounded like a mother that was concerned because <clears throat> she was a mother. She is a mother of a, of a boy. She didn't say a boy, but she said a child, an 18-year-old child, a black child, obviously. 
she said, go home. We can do better. We are better. And she was specifically talking about Atlanta, which is a Mecca, a place for black people to go. With the history of black mayors and a history of black police chiefs, as she mentioned, which is very true. A history of black business owners, which is very true. She said, if we can't do this to each other. Then Killer Mike got on. And he started off by saying, this is all interview. It's kind of hard to find the separate interviews, but they have news coverage of it. But I wish they would just put the raw footage on. But they had Killer Mike go on. And Killer Mike said, I don't want to be here. And started crying. He said, I don't want to be here. And I, for a second, I'm, I'm thinking he's being a little dramatic, isn't he? You know, come on, you're Killer Mike. Kill a Mike. He's like, kill this fucking Mike, dude. And he killed the fucking Mike. He said, I don't want to be here. My dad was a police officer. My cousin's a police officer. My other cousin's a police officer. All in fucking Atlanta. He said this, and he said, we have to go home. He said, go home so you can live another day and use your power to fucking beat the shit out of the politicians. Not physically, but with the polls, with the elections, with the primaries, with the senator elections, with the mayoral elections. Use people and actually go out and vote and let's have the best turnout we've ever had. Because we're talking about how we get arrested for weed and then we don't elect people in who promise to decriminalize or legalize marijuana. Fact. That's something that I, I complain about weed and then I don't vote. Why didn't I vote? We talked about this before. My parents are Jehovah's Witnesses. I'm 24. I've had one chance to vote so far. And they don't believe in voting. And that's really made me think, am I going to vote? Am I not going to vote? Am I going to vote? Am I not going to vote? My whole life. And now I'm at the point where I'm realizing that I have to. Obviously, I have to. You know, I'm not them. I'm not my parents. I don't believe what they believe. But it was a very big thing for me, a battle within myself, thinking, do I, do I, like, betray what I've been taught all these years by my parents, like, to not be politically, don't care about politics. God's the solution. God can't be the solution right now. We can't just sit and wait. We can't be like these fucking TikTok motherfuckers that keep posting positivity during these times. I hope you guys are staying positive, sending prayer. Fuck your prayers. Fuck your positivity and fuck your fucking dancing. I'm sick of these people taking little to no accountability and saying, I always send positive energy out. So that's what I'm going to fuck your positive energy. Do something. With your fucking million followers. Say something that's less than. I'm not trying to be controversial. But I'll say what I have to say. Because people need me to say something. Because they're looking up to me. Because I created this weird iconic image on the internet. That I can't hold up as a person of substance. So I'm going to say something about. Hey guys stay positive during this hard time. So that I don't get in trouble for not saying anything. But that way I can still get the TikTok algorithm to recommend my shit. Fuck that. Fuck all these people that are literally just sending positive vibes out for no fucking reason. They don't know why they're doing it. And these people who have had people that have struggled and lived and died to make sure that they can 
be gay on TikTok, to make sure that they can be black on social media, to make sure that they can be a woman that can show her body on social. All these people that have struggled for them did so much more than they're doing. And they don't realize that if everyone just sent out positive vibes in the fucking 60s and 70s and shit, that we would have nothing. Because all those positive vibes of the fucking hippies and the stoners and shit. If, if everyone was like that, we'd still have racists. They'd just be stoner racists, which we still have. Positive vibes and everyone, quote unquote, treating each other with respect is not the answer. Because as we see with the fucking Karen in Central Park, as we see with her, her she is someone that would, quote unquote, give out positive vibes, fucking adopted a dog, fucking a vice president of a company, female vice president of a company, fucking a liberal that's still racist. Positive vibes aren't enough because people are fucking fake. But what is real is the pain that we're feeling right now. The pain that I'm feeling right now, the pain that black people are feeling right now, the pain that black men are feeling right now in regards to everyone who's dying, black women. We're killing black women and we're killing their husbands. We're killing black men and we're killing their wives. We're killing all kinds of minorities, but right now it's black people. So I need you to know one thing. This is about black people. Period. We get so many people saying all lives matter. What about Asians? What about Mexicans? What about, yes, yes, other people are affected, but right now we are by far the worst. I don't give a fuck what you think. This is the truth. We are by far the most targeted group. And just by being a black man, being a black woman, people instantly view you as subhuman. I don't know why, but people are terrified of us. Women are terrified of me. White men are terrified of me. Police are terrified of me. Employers are scared of me. It's people are scared of me and I need to like fight for me because you guys can fight for you and we can all fight at the same time and come together for whatever purpose that we're trying to do, whatever whatever action we're trying to initiate, whatever policies we're trying to enact, but you have to go with your groups, not segregated, because of course we see everyone coming together to support Black Lives Matter, but it's because we have black leaders that are leading this to fight for us and people join in because they support. So if you're one of those people that are like, yeah, black people are but, but, but what? This is our fight that we're fighting and we're putting our energy and our resources into it. And that's it, period. That's it. So I'm, I'm saying, again, this isn't an advice podcast, never an advice podcast. But what I'm saying is we all need to be active and fight for what we want and what we believe in because in essence, it's really not that different. If black people stop getting killed in the street, they'll stop killing everybody else in the streets. You know? If black people get their reparations or whatever they're trying to get, whatever we're trying to get, because we don't know right now, women will be lifted up too because a rising tide lifts all ships. But 
we can't be dispersing our resources being like, but what about this? What about this? What about this? What about this? It's like having fucking the analogy everyone always talks about having 10 houses on fire and then you using your limited amount of water to give every house a little bit of fire. If you can get one house to not have that fire, if you can get one house to be extinguished, then we can focus on other houses, especially if it's the worst house in the neighborhood. The fire won't grow if the worst house or at least grow as much if the worst house is put out. That'll help a shit ton. We have to start with the worst house. And we all know black people are the worst house right now. It sucks to be black. It's great to be black. It feels amazing to be black when it's fun to be black. But when it's not fun to be black, which is most of the time, when you're applying for jobs, when you're going in the street and you see cops, when you're driving a car in a neighborhood that you know you don't belong in, when you're accused of something that you're not, it's not fun to be black. We all have these stories, as we keep saying. We all do. I'm not the only one, for sure. Ask your friend. Call your friend. Tell me about a time. I mean, do it in a, in a way that's not, like, super degrading. Like, yo, tell me about a time where you called a nigger. Like, don't do that shit. But still, you get the point. Killer Mike, the mayor of Atlanta, T.I. Killer Mike's always been a motivational figure. He's always been very active and very vocal. He's also very eloquent. His speech was incredible. The mayor of Atlanta's speech was incredible. But there are a few other things that you guys need to know. The first one is that I'm not saying that these protests are bad. I'm not saying that they're good. I don't think we'll really know for a long time. But Martin Luther King, again, was hated by people. And something that I saw that was interesting I'm going to try to rephrase this into my language, I suppose. Something I saw was that Martin Luther King gave his I had a dream speech. White people are like, yes, peaceful protest. No, they weren't at the time. No one knows this. These are my words, but no one knows this, apparently. But they weren't at the time. They weren't like, yes, Martin, go. Yes, you can do it. They weren't like that shit. That's not what it was like. They hated him. Again, Appleton, Wisconsin, the North, the quote unquote free North, called for death of Martin Luther King in their fucking Post Crescent newspaper. There's many other newspapers. That's the one that I know about because I was there. Well, not there, but you know the idea. I was in Wisconsin and I got to see these articles in the archives in our library. They called for Martin Luther King's death after his peaceful speech where he just talked about a day where he thought one day I would be able to marry a white woman or I would be able to go to school with white people. Or I would be able to hold someone's hand that's white or nanny kids that are white or some shit and not get people being discriminatory or racist towards me or trying to kill me. You know? People, after that, they killed him. They killed him. And that was the one that got to him. There was other attempts, of course. They killed him. After his peaceful protest, they didn't like Martin Luther King. It wasn't until like 10, 20, 30 years later that we can look back and realize that he was the best of us all. Or maybe he he wasn't. Maybe there's others that contributed to this that when in the scope of history, we'll see that they were just as important as Martin Luther King. And I think we have to stop 
saying that Martin Luther King is the end all be all. If we do what he did, it didn't work. What he did did not work. It helped, but it did not work because we're in the same position we were now, back then now. We're in the same exact position, if not worse, because now we're seeing so much more of it. I'm not taking away from what he did. He did amazing things, obviously. He contributed to so much. Obviously, he's a major force of the civil rights movement. Obviously, and he's a major reason why you listen to this podcast right now. Yes, he is. But what I'm saying is we have this vision, this met, this ideal that peaceful protest solves everything because he was the fucking Jesus of black people. And he was, but we are not all him. And if we were all him and we did what he did, it wouldn't work as we saw with the kneeling. As we saw with the kneeling with sports, it didn't work. The peaceful protest didn't work. And we gave them the chances. We gave them this word. We said we are going to do the most peaceful, the most uncontroversial show of solidarity and black unity that we can. Yet at the same time, it wasn't enough. It was too much. Peaceful protest objectively doesn't work. Objectively, it doesn't. And I'm not saying we should violently protest. That is not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is what they have been doing the last 60 years, the peaceful protest obviously doesn't work. Otherwise, we wouldn't be having these problems. And it's it's annoying at the least that people keep bringing up Martin Luther King. Again, again, Martin Luther King, we love him. He's a figure, important figure, a person that we couldn't have done these things without him. But what I'm saying is, it, if you look at the evidence, if peaceful protest worked, Colin Kaepernick wouldn't have been out of a job. And now we have less peaceful protest and people are upset, which they should be. It is upsetting for multiple reasons, whatever side you're on. It doesn't work. So we're frustrated. Someone told me once that you can never be mad about how somebody reacts. You know, if you are Ellen DeGeneres and you scare someone on your show and they react any kind of way, you can't be mad. If Justin Bieber jumps out of a box and there's a fan in the seat and she slaps him across the face, you can't be like, well, why the fuck did she slap Justin Bieber? No, you can't be mad at how someone reacts. We've been getting killed in the streets for hundreds of years for no reason. Killed in our houses during during no-knock police drug raids. Killed in our houses while sitting there eating fucking cereal. Killed in our houses in our backyards. For forgetting our keys and looking like we're trying to break in. Killed on the streets for no reason. For hundreds of years, you know? It's, it's because they think we're animals. They think that the one race, racial, racial thing my mom has ever said was that 
they don't value the life of a black man. It means nothing right now. That's what she said. I mean, the life of a black man means, means nothing. Because it's so easy. So easy to kill a black man. It's like an ant. When you step on an ant, you don't even think about it. Because people don't view us as human. We're subhuman. Is that our fault? You know, are we doing this to ourselves? I don't think so. But what can what can we do? I don't think uh <laughs> no matter how politically active I try to be, I don't think a magician has the answers. <laughs> I'm not sure, you know. Again, I try to be as active as I can be, you know. I hope to take a better, a bigger, not stance, a bigger role in social justice, more than just writing, more than just podcasting. But for right now, this is what I can do. This is my platform, you know. I don't have a big platform, but it's what I can do. But I've been thinking a lot about what the phrase no justice, no peace means because people use it as no justice, no peace. If we don't get justice, you won't have peace. You know, if we don't get justice, we're going to fuck up your shit. And honestly, I'm not sure that's what it means. You could probably look this up. I didn't look it up like I it's, it's a phrase you know it's a it's a I guess a colloquialism it I don't think it necessarily means if you don't give us justice we're gonna fuck up your lives I think it means if we don't get justice we don't have inner peace I think that's what it means and I think we should start using it that way because I am turmoiled inside. We are all hurting inside because we don't get justice. It's as we've been saying, just us getting killed. It's just us getting these unfair court sentences. It's just us getting this discrimination in the legal system, in the fucking secular system. It's literally just us, or it feels like that, or it seems like that. But I promise, I promise, if you help black people in any way, everyone's lives. But the question is, what do we do? This isn't an incident. This is a culture. And this is going to keep happening until we change the institutionalized racism and treat our children or teach our children to not be racist which people are whether you want to admit it or not and it's not half of the country it's the majority of the country and I don't know how you guys can teach your children to not be racist I don't know how I can teach my children to not be sexist we can say to be kind to respect each other that Ellen DeGeneres bullshit 
we could say that. But then we still have kids that make stupid ass TikToks when they have parents that say that shit. Which contribute to the dehumanization of black people or of whatever people. And that's my thing. We have to put this shit in the history books. And then maybe you can say I was there. Maybe that'll change your kid's opinion. Maybe when someone says something racist, they'll say, hey, my dad marched in 2020. Cut that shit out. We don't do that. We don't do that anymore. Maybe. But is that risk? Is that worth risking my life for? You should say yes. But why should I die so that your kids cannot be racist? Maybe not me in particular, but you get the point. So it's now 6.53. It's been about an hour. I don't think I have any more to say. But what I did want to say was check out Killer Mike's speech. Check out the mayor of Atlanta's speech. Because I've never that calling people up is a term that I've never heard before. And it's so true. The love that you can hear in their voices. So true. Because we look like each other. We don't want to admit it. I'm not saying that all black people look the same, but we look like we are family. We could all be family. People who die look like my uncle, look like my cousin, look like my brother. We are family. That's why we call each other brother, sister. That that shit that you guys love to say, that shit, yeah, sis, sister, comes from black people calling each other sister. Which is a fact. That's a thing that people do. Yo, bro, brother, it's a black person thing. That wasn't a thing before black people said it. We for we are family and we feel this deeply. Because when someone has the same skin tone as you, looks like you from the motherfucking back. That could have been you if you were walking next to them or if you're in their spot. That's a unique feeling that people don't feel. That people don't understand. And that's why we hurt so badly. Because they. Don't you dare! This is his farm! This is his farm! Fuck that bitch up!